Well, this morning, if you have your Bible, I want you to go to Matthew chapter 16 and Mark chapter 3. I am about to preach on fast forward. I hope you come today. Like It, it might be like uh, you know drinking, drinking water out of a fire hose this morning, so get ready. Uh, I'm excited to, to be with you today and to be sharing this message. This message is really... Um, really hits near and dear because it was about two years this time uh, this time of the year, two years ago, I was just getting back from a life-changing trip to uh, Israel. I had just gotten back and was sharing many of the, the, the thoughts and the experiences that I had there, and let me tell you, they were amazing. Uh, uh, I will tell you, being on a boat and doing worship on the Sea of Galilee, that was incredible. Okay, absolutely incredible. I remember I was there on the Sea of Galilee. The spirit of prophecy fell on me. A young man I did not know. Everybody else knows these people. I didn't know these people. Uh, The spirit of the Lord gave me a word. I gave this word to this young man. And he just crumbles under the weight, and, and you know, and he begins to tell me he is the he is the son of a guy who pastors. I don't know. It must be the second or third largest church in America. And uh, I gave him this word. God absolutely moved in power on this boat. It was incredible. He couldn't speak for forty five minutes because of the healing that God was doing in his life. He was weeping, crying. Okay, that was a glorious moment. Just on the shores of the Galilee is a place called Capernaum. This place is incredible. It's a place where Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law of the fever. He goes in and touches her. She gets healed. Word gets out about her healing. And then everybody who's demon-possessed and sick, they bring all of their sick to Capernaum. And they bring them to the synagogue, and what happens? Jesus heals them all. That was an incredible place to stand, to know I was in one of those places where not one person left sick. That's incredible, right? And I I mean, I stood on Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel, So some of you are going, oh, Mount Carmel, what happened there? That's where Elijah called down fire from heaven, and 850 false prophets lost their life, and God declared himself to be God, and Elijah uh, gave one of the most, had one of the most glorious moves of God the world has ever seen. I stood on that mountain, saw that place, and that was amazing, and from that mountain, I can actually see a city called Nain. Nain is, is kind of a, a, you know, a nondescript place. It's just a little city there, you know, and they're like, oh yeah, that, that place is really neat. Why is that place neat? Well, because there was a widow there. She had lost her husband and they were having a perfectly good funeral for her son that had just died. And Jesus did a terrible thing and interrupted a perfectly good funeral. They were weeping and crying. and go, he, say, he just comes into the middle of this procession, stops the casket, puts his hand inside, and raises the young boy from the dead. By the way, that's an amazing place. You go to a place Jesus raised the dead. That's pretty amazing. But I want to tell you, the place that struck me the most was the place this church is named after. It's a hill called Golgotha, Calvary. The place of the skull, the reason it's called the place of the skull is because to look at it straight on, the rock formation looks like a human skull. 
It was there that our Lord was crucified between two thieves. It was there that a tsunami wave of grace came from heaven to wash away the mountain of sin. It was there on that hill. And I couldn't help but notice as I am taking this moment in, this is the place where grace came into the planet. I couldn't help but notice the parking lot with the buses. I mean, the irreverence that was right under the shadow of this place that changed history. This place wasn't venerated with a, uh, uh, a Catholic cathedral. It was simply a rock next to a road next to a garden tomb. And I couldn't help but notice those buses just doing everyday life. Just do it. Is it the smell of diesel fume? Right there. Next to this life-changing place. And I couldn't help but think, wow, isn't that a picture of the cross? That in the middle of when, when people are just going through everyday life, that they don't even know how close they are to a life-changing moment with God's grace through Christ. You know, when you, when you take on a name like Calvary, you ought to be about the cross. And I want you to know today that as believers in here, you're not only called to have a relationship with, with Jesus, but you're actually supposed to have a relationship with the cross. And that may be a brand new idea for some, but let me tell you why I'm sharing that. It's Matthew 16, 24. It says, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Now, when I read these words, you, you then need to understand that you have uh, an assignment to have an, a, a relationship to your cross. And for us here at Calvary, we, we, we as a staff and a leadership team, we're like, okay, how can we create moments and, 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 and environments? How can we create ministries that encourage people to do what Jesus said? How, how do we create these spaces? And not only, not only are they carrying the cross, but we kind of believe that there are areas that God has called us to carry the cross to. Because it's not that you just walk around uh, mindlessly with a cross, but we actually walk, as Jesus said, he said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. There are four areas of increasing influence that Jesus said that you would be a witness if you're, if you're truly born again. And I love this. Jerusalem is home base. It's, man, this is where everything is. This is the place I know. And for us... Our Jerusalem is our families. How many of you know we, we need to carry the cross first to our families? We need to say, God, I am being sent by heaven, empowered by heaven, helped by heaven to carry the cross to my family. 
But in the next sphere of influence, if there is a Judea in all of our lives, it would be the church. It would be where I stand shoulder to shoulder with other brothers and sisters in Christ and endeavor to make a difference in the lives of others who have given their lives to Christ. We're called to carry the cross to the church. And then, you know, then there's Samaria. And then what you just kind of need to know about Samaria is that Jews really didn't want anything to do with Samaria. There was, a, there was a little bit of division there. And our next layer of saying God is calling us to call, carry the cross somewhere is to our community. And it could be to places you don't want to go. Places you don't have much in common with. And you'll hear a little bit more about that next week. And, and, and so you're, 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 we're then say, okay, all right, I can, I can kind of wrap my head around carrying a cross to my family and to my church and then to my community. But then Jesus says these words. He says, and then you're going to be a witness to the uttermost parts of the world. He says, your, the cross in your life is called to even have a global influence. That's why at the end of this month, on February 28th, we're going to spend an entire week and you're going to hear from missionaries who went from being just these everyday people that you just walk around, you're around all the time, and then all of a sudden they answer a call and they're influencing the world. Their own testimony became an open door to influence the world through Christ. And all of us need to actually begin to see that we have an opportunity to have a global influence from this place. So it does beg the question, Why did Jesus say these words? Why did he say it? Well, this verse that I quoted to you starts with the word then. That's a signal word saying something really important happened a couple verses before. And this is what it says in Matthew 16, 21 and 23. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, that that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Can I just tell you? I'm so grateful for Peter. I mean, if my name were in the Bible, it would be Peter, okay? He just makes me feel like I got a friend in the scriptures. He's rebuking Jesus. And Jesus turned to him and said, Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. Listen to this. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Merely human concerns. Now, you say, well, why why would Peter do that? Well, I mean, just the verses before, this is where Peter steps out in a great moment of faith and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. And he says, I call you Peter. He says, I call you Petros. I call you little rock. And he says, and upon this Petros, the large rock, the large rock of revelation of who Jesus is, 
In case you didn't know that Peter wasn't the foundation of the church, Jesus is the foundation of the church. Peter is just in the south. If Jesus was a southerner, he would have said, you're a chip off the old block. That's what he said. You're a little stone. But upon this big rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail of it. Peter is feeling good. That's why he said, this is never going to happen to you, Jesus. So he got called, you're a rock and Satan in two breaths. Okay. All right. It's not good to be called Satan by Jesus. All right. So, so. If Jesus then goes on and says, take up your cross and follow me, how do we carry the cross? We have to be the church this year that takes our faith public. It's not enough to fill our notebooks full of revelation and say, wow, that is a great nugget for Twitter. Oh, I can't wait to tag Pastor Otis in this and tag me in him, okay? I want to see him. <laughs> but that's not, that's not the kind of faith that changes the world. It's when we actually do what Jesus said, we take up the cross, we deny ourselves, and we follow him. It's that kind of faith that changes the world. So we have to answer this question. How do I carry the cross. How do I carry the cross? First, it's this. It's answer God's call on my life. Did you know you have a call on your life? Oh, I'm not. Oh, no. You're, yeah, I know you're thinking, well, I'm not called to be a preacher. That has nothing to do with it. Those are just some, Ephesians 4 said, some are called to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Some, but all are called. All are called. You see, Matthew 16, 21, Jesus makes clear what his call. He says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples, here's his call. I must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Now, only Jesus could faithfully answer that call on his life. Aren't you grateful that Jesus said yes to answering that call? That he said, I'll take up that task of, of pouring out and shedding my own blood for their forgiveness. But I want to follow it by this statement. Only you can answer the call that's on your life. Jesus can't answer the call that's on your life. Only you can. And you have a call on your life. And it looks like what Jesus did on the cross. It looks like it. I say this, and I've probably said it often enough that some of you have probably heard me say it before. Jesus didn't only die on the cross for you. He died on the cross to show you how. And we sometimes look at this momentous event of Calvary and think, wow, I'm so glad he did it. And yet, when Jesus comes into our life with arms extended in grace, he's not empty-handed. He's actually saying, here's your cross. 
carry it by answering your call on this planet. Notice what 2 Timothy 1.9 says. It says, God who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before time began. You have a holy calling that started before you were in your mother's womb. It is a call to be separated under God's purpose for your life. Not only are we called by God, but we're also equipped by God to faithfully work in our callings. There's, there's about uh, 24 different giftings that we identify in our foundations course, which is happening right now next door. If you've never been through our discipleship here, you need to get into foundations. You need to go through it. You'll, you'll not only discover what you need to do to have those essential habits, which will make for success in your walk with God, but you'll actually discover how God has wired you, how he has created you, how he has gifted you. And we say it in foundations this way, your destiny. Destiny is found in your design. That when God gifts you and calls you, many times he does it before you were in your mother's womb like he did Jeremiah. He says, before you were in your mother's womb, I set you apart to be a prophet to the nations. What does that mean? That gifting and calling doesn't have to do with us. It has to do with him and about Jeremiah discovering his calling. And it's about us discovering our calling. And walking in it. If you're going to carry the cross, you got to know what you're called to do. And how you're called to do it. Now, your calling has a nature. I want to give you just a couple of ideas that, that wrap themselves around your calling. Okay, You need to know this about your calling in God. First, it's relational. This all comes from Mark chapter 3. So if you're, if you're holding that place in your Bible, you can go there. I'm going to walk you through a few scriptures and show you all the nature of your calling in God. This is biblical, this is direct, and it is personal. First, it's relational. Your calling is relational. Mark 3, four, uh, 13 says, And he, Jesus, went up on the mountain and called to him those he himself wanted, and they came to him. The calling that first happens is God saying, I want relationship with you. And he's calling you to himself. It is relational. He's saying, I want you. I want you. He called those he himself wanted. Isn't it nice to know that you're wanted by God? You are wanted and desired by God. So it's relational. You're calling it's first relational. Don't try to just do what God told you to do apart from living in pure relationship with the Lord. Second, it's a process. Oh, you're going to love this. Mark 3.14 says, Then he appointed 12 that they might be with him. Why does it say he called those he himself wanted, and then he appointed 12 that they might be with him? Because he knew. These jokers have been fishing a long time, and they are going to mess up. I'm going to have to take some time, the better part of three years, to be with them. Your calling, the nature of your calling in God, is that it's a process. Why don't you look at your neighbor and say, you should be patient with you. If God is patient, 
enough with us in the process. Why don't we then become a little more patient with ourselves in the process? You do need to be patient with yourself. And some of y'all are going, well, I never prayed for patience before because I thought if I prayed for patience, God would send me problems. (laughs) Oh, poor little Bible reader. (laughs) You just didn't read your Bible. Because every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. And there's nowhere in the Bible that says if you pray for something good, God gives you something bad. That's nonsense. That's man's religion. And you need to kick it out. It's a process. You need to pray. God, help me to be as patient with myself as you're making me more like Christ as you are with me. That's really good for somebody in here today. Let me give you the next one. It's bold. Your calling is bold. It's bold. He says, he said, he called them that he might send them out to preach. Uh Uh-oh. By the way, Jesus didn't give them a personality test. He didn't say, hey, by the way, Judas, I know you're in accounting and you really don't like to be in front of people. But when I called you, Judas, I actually called you to preach. Did you know that Judas was a preacher too? Before he fell? He trained them all to preach. And I know that there are people in here today, you're like, oh, no. No, I'm just a quiet person. Well, let's put that to a test. I'd like to take you to the door of my truck. All I'm going to do is ask you to put your hand on the door jam. Don't move it. And I'm about to bless it and change its shape. I promise you, there will come sounds out of you that you didn't know were there. There may be, maybe, maybe even come some words you didn't know was there. Why? Because the urgency of the moment demanded that kind of response. And your calling in God and the urgency of this moment demands that our, our following God carrying the cross would be bold. Matter of fact, when the, it's one of the primary prayers prayed in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4. Say, Lord, grant unto your servants that with all boldness we may declare the gospel. And let me give you another one, Mark, Mark 3, 15. It, your calling is supernatural. Now, this terrifies people when I say this. Your calling is supernatural. He says he calls them, send them out to preach. That's one level. You think, well, I might be able to put something together, get my three points together. By the way, that's not what he's talking about. He said, I'm going I'm to go and preach, but... There's an and that comes with it. And to have power to heal sickness and cast out demons. Now, if I didn't get you on the preaching part, now when I mentioned your calling is supernatural, some of y'all are like, I'm out! I'm out of here! Some of you charismaniacs were like, yeah! Yeah! Come on! Help me somebody! Your calling is supernatural. You can't get around it. Amen. 
He's called you to cast out demons. Have you ever done that? That's pretty awesome. Have you ever laid hands on the sick and see them made well? I have. Now, by the way, here's the good news. Our part is natural. His part is supernatural. By the way, I want to let you know, yes, our part is natural. It does sometimes look like laying hands on the sick. You pray, God heals. But I want to give you another thing that's supernatural. You preach and God supernaturally transforms a sin-sick heart into a heart that is redeemed and washed and eternally secure in him. I want to tell you, that is an amazing miracle, but it's not because of your preaching. It's because you did the natural and God did the supernatural. This is part of your calling. Let me give you another part that's connected to your calling. It's right here and right now. It's right here and right now. Acts 17 tells us, verse 26, God made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and he has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. Look at this. God pre-appoints our times. Get this. You have been flung into eternity and landed right here in 2021. Some of you have begged that you would have been born in another time, you know, pre-COVID, so there would have been no interruption in your life. But what you need to understand is that if God puts you in this time, he actually equipped you for this time. And then the other thing is that he's pre-appointed the boundaries of your dwellings. So young people, stop trying to escape Citrus County. All the older people from all over America are coming here, okay? They're like, oh, it's my promised land. But God pre-appoints the times and the boundaries of dwellings for all of us. What, what does that mean? That means our calling is right here and it's right now. It's right here and right now. Stop saying, oh, well, you know, I'll really live for God when the kids get a little bigger. Stop it. Stop, stop saying, young person, you know, you're, you're like, oh, you know, one day when I, when I get to be an adult, you know, then, then I'll live for God. No, it's, it's right now and it's right here. And, and I know some of you are like, well, when I retire, I'll really live for Jesus, you know? And then you get to retirement and you're going, man, you know, my day is past. What in the world? Our calling, it's the nature of our calling. It is right here and it's right now. And carrying your cross doesn't, it doesn't come with an age stamp. And it, does, it certainly doesn't come, you know, living in a place with more Starbucks. Because we don't have one. In case you didn't know. Thank God for Dunkin' Donuts. I got some amens. That's amazing. <laughs> well, let's, a, let's, let's ask this, okay? If only I can answer this calling that's on my life. Let's, let's, let's be real for a moment. Is there a price for not answering your call? Is there a price? 
Well, there was this really wise uncle that was speaking to someone who had been strategically placed by God. Her name, Esther. And I want you to listen to these words of this wise uncle when Esther was teetering back and forth about whether or not to answer her call in her day. It says, Esther 4.14 says, For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Is there a price for your silence? Yes. And where does it start in your house? You and your father's house will perish. If you want to learn to carry the cross first, you need to answer God's call on your life and live in that calling. Next is you, you, the second thing we need to do comes straight from this passage, and that's we need to remove stumbling blocks for people. We need to remove stumbling blocks for people. Matthew 16, 23, he looks at Peter and says, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. This is Jesus talking. A stumbling block. For you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Can I just tell you, if you're only concerned about just the human parts of life, you might be a stumbling block. If you're a Christian that is asking these kinds of questions, what, can, what am I allowed to do and still be a Christian? You're a stumbling block. You're a stumbling block. You know why? Because you have human concerns in mind, not the concerns of God. You're just looking for whatever you can do and get into heaven by the skin of your teeth. Not, how can I live in this life so I can populate heaven and plunder hell? So we remove stumbling What is that? What's, what's a stumbling block? It's anything that could prevent somebody from living in God's design purpose. By the way, every person is designed to be born again. Every person is designed to be born again. And do you know there are stumbling blocks? Many people in the church have become stumbling blocks from people getting born again because we've, been, we've done a very poor job of representing who Christ is. So what's our role if we're really going to carry the cross? Here's what we do. It's not that we're doing it to get God's approval. No, we live a separated holy life given to his purposes because we possess his approval. We're already approved. Let me just give you a couple of stumbling blocks that you can help people with. These are real simple. Everybody's got these. It's wrong thinking and bad theology. Wrong thinking and bad theology. There are more, lots more. But if somebody has wrong thinking, it, it, it can be a stumbling block. Here's what, here's what it says. Have you ever heard somebody say, God won't forgive me for that? I have. Or they say, I don't think God will forgive me for that. So they never really try to enter into a relationship with the Lord. They never do. They say things, maybe they say something like this. 
maybe, maybe they even believe, but they say, God won't come through for me. God won't come through for me. Or, how about this one? I'm not good enough to be used by God. I'm not good enough to be used by God. All of those are, are terrible thoughts. And when you hear that come out of the heart of people, here's what God is saying. Pick up the cross and remove the stumbling block. Remove that stumbling block. And perhaps it's bad theology, okay? People have terrible thoughts about God, that he's mad all the time. You know, and, and uh, I love what, what Tozer says. He, and I'll just give you the last sentence. He says, I believe there is scarcely an error in doctrine or a failure in applying Christian ethics that cannot be traced finally to imperfect and ignoble thoughts about God. He's saying, listen, when you, when, you, when, you, when you think about the failures that happen in people's lives, some that are going around in the news this very week, People will look at that and say, that's why I don't want to be, that's why I don't want to be a Christian. Let me just tell you, if you don't get that idea or that theology from looking at Jesus, you, you get that idea from looking at man who had in some way a twisted view of God that led to a broken condition. And what do we do? What do we do? What are we called to do? We're called to, to be ones who make bold declarations of God's holiness and God's goodness and God's mercy and God's grace and God's power and God's wisdom. And the list goes on and on and on. And so as we're going through life, as we're coming to church, as you're going to your family, I want you to think this way. Is there a stumbling block that I can remove. I want to give you three questions. I want all of you to leave with three questions in your heart today about how you can carry the cross. If you will ask yourself these three questions, you'll begin to carry the cross in a profound and dynamic way. The first question is this. Who are the people? Who are the people? Who are the people that God is calling me to minister to? All of us have a call to family. All of us are called by God to be a part of a, of a local body. If this isn't yours, find it and plug in there. Who are the people? Jesus said, I know the people. It's the lost sheep of Israel first. Do you know your people? Maybe it's a daily question God, today, who are the people you're calling me to remove stumbling blocks for? Second is, what is the, what's the problem? Really, it's what's that deep-seated thing that someone is dealing with. What's the problem? Jesus knew the problem. He was coming to seek and save the lost. The people were lost. They were without God. They were broken and fractured in relationship with God. That was his assignment. I wonder if we wouldn't ask God, God, what is the problem that I could deal with and that he wouldn't give us answers like this. They're lonely. They're in pain. 
They're, they're hungry. There's sickness that you need to pray for. There's a sin issue you need to share that there's liberty in Christ. Or it could be that there's just lack. They have a physical need. So you say, who are the people? What's the problem? And this last one, listen, you've got to get this one in your heart. How can I be generous? You say, why do you, why, why do you frame it that way? How can I be generous? Why do you frame it that way? John three sixteen. It's all about the cross. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. The cross was connected to the greatest act of generosity this world has ever seen. And if we are to carry the cross, we too must ask, God, how can I not... uh, I'm not giving people just what they need. I want to be generous. I want to be generous. It says, how can I be generous? You say, that sounds like it's going to cost me something. (laughs) You're called to carry the cross, not your comfort. Hebrews 12, which was quoted earlier, says this. It was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross, despising its shame. It was joy that kept Jesus on the cross, knowing that there would be billions who give their life to God and come into relationship with him. When we carry the cross, it will, it will be joy of knowing we're partnering with God and there will be lives changed by his grace, his power, and goodness. It will be joy of not knowing, okay, I don't know the final story, but God, I know that I'm going to carry my cross through this moment and I'm going to see you do what you can only do. And if joy kept Jesus on the cross, it will be joy that keeps us walking without.